connection with our third one another commandment, I invite you to turn with me to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians is a letter written by the Apostle Paul to the various churches in Galatia. It isn't clear if there are these many different churches because of the many, many believers in the region that they split due to numbers, or perhaps because of deep divisions. It could be either one, perhaps even both. The letter to the Galatian churches, it's, it's a troubling look at, a, at deeply flawed, deeply sinful congregations. But it also, at the very same time, shows us Paul's love and affection for them, even in these troubles. Let's read the context of our commandment for this morning. Galatians 5, verse 11 to 6, verse 2. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish that those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. But I say walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you were led by the Spirit, you were not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit, let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Here is our text. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. I encourage you to keep your Bibles open to our text during the sermon. We, we won't read it again since we just read it. After the sermon, we will sing our Amen song of hymn 43, the stanzas 1, 3, 5, and 6. May God bless the preaching of his word. Beloved in Christ, God won't give you more than you can handle. God won't give you more than you can handle. Is this true or is this false? This idea has been floating around the internet for the past few years and, and undoubtedly made its way into various people's minds. 
that this statement, God won't give you more than you can handle, is one of those Christianisms with no foundation in Scripture. This phrase, they say, is just like, let go and let God. Not true. Or, God helps those who help themselves. Very much against the basic premise of the gospel. Or, the one that I'm glad is just a human saying, cleanliness is next to godliness. Oh, this, this idea, it, it had faded from my memory until I saw it posted again recently on social media. And this is what the post said. Maybe you've seen a post like this, or maybe this exact post. God won't give you more than you can handle. That's odd, I can't seem to find that verse. I'm guessing Job would take exception to that cliché. So would Joseph. Paul did. So is that correct? Is it correct that this saying is false? Does God give us more than we can handle? Well, it's true if you understand it properly. And it's false if you try to make it mean something that it was never meant to mean. Let's examine this briefly. So, for this person who wrote the social media post, if you can't find this verse, oh, and by the way, I'm not calling any of you out. I did not see it on any of your social media. All right. So, if, if you can't find this verse, well, it's because you spent all of zero seconds looking for it. It's right there. This is not a good and intelligent post. This is what the saying is referring to. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So this verse, this concept, is right there in black and white. The verse that you were searching for is right there. But that's not where we end it. It's not quite so simple. It's not quite game over yet. Because what about what Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 1? I said what he said. He said, for we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength. So on the one hand, you will not be tempted beyond your ability, but we were utterly burdened beyond our strength. How can these two go together? Is Paul speaking out of both sides of his mouth here? Is he hoping that the Corinthians, when they received his second letter, had forgotten completely about his first letter because he's contradicting himself? Well, no. These two verses, if we look at, look at them properly, they actually fit together so perfectly and teach us exactly what we need to know. Because it's not that God promises that we, in our weak and sinful human selves... Abandoning God will be able to stand firm when faced with the prince of darkness and all of his weapons. Paul is not saying that one single unarmed Christian can stand up to all the hellish hordes of demons that seek our very souls. No. What Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians is exactly the same as what he's saying in 2 Corinthians. We were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. So what Paul is saying, what we must take and learn and apply to our own lives, is that in ourselves we are weak. In ourselves we are helpless and we are hopeless. But thanks be to God that we are not by ourselves. We are not on our own. Thanks be to God. That when these trials come, God has provided us with strength. God has provided us with a way out. 
And even though our text is not on 1 Corinthians, our reading is not 2 Corinthians, this example, this example of misunderstanding, it leads us right into our one another commandment for this week. We are to bear the burdens of one another. And we are to do this precisely because if we try to stand on our own, we will fall. If we don't stand together, we will fall apart. Believers standing together, bearing one another's burdens with the strength that the Holy Spirit provides. This is unity. This is love. This is victory. This is the church. So this morning, as the church, let's hear what it means to be the church. Let's see our next one another commandment, bear the burdens of one another. We'll see that we're commanded to do that with open eyes and then with open hearts. Bear the burdens of one another with open eyes. I've heard it said, maybe you've heard this too, in marriages, the bride and the groom, they should go into marriage with their eyes open wide, and then they should be married with their eyes half shut. The idea is that, that both the bride and the groom, they should really and truly know who their spouse is. They should really and truly know exactly what they're getting into when they get married. But after that, when you're stuck with each other, then you should take a gentler view, you should take a more relaxed and passive view, half closing your eyes to the flaws of your spouse. Now, I'm not married. Maybe this works for marriages. Maybe you'll tell me after this is great advice or this is horrible advice. But, but I'm, not preaching you, I'm not preaching to you this morning about marriage. What I can tell you, what Scripture tells us, is that this same kind of attitude, it does not work with the church. This cannot be how we live as the body of Christ. And I fear that so often this is exactly how we live. So before public profession of faith, young people, they're encouraged to have their eyes open wide. We have a pre-confession class that is for that exact purpose. On Thursday evenings, we discuss together, know what you believe, know what the Canadian Reformed Church has said, know, most importantly, what the Bible says. You have to have your eyes open as wide as you can to a variety of topics, how we're to live in this world. And then, at the end of it all, there's, there's even an interview where the elder witnesses just how wide the eyes of the students are open. And then, after the pomp and circumstance of the day, with books and Bible verses and mugs given out, the eyes, they're tempted to start to close. I've arrived, I've done it, I've graduated catechism class, never to return, now I can relax. But, brothers and sisters, this is not right. We are to one another, one another. We are to love one another as Christ has loved us. We are to be hospitable to one another, welcoming each other in, because this is the message of the gospel. When our Lord gathers us, he doesn't just gather us as individuals. What he does is he places us in the church and he binds us together, urging us to share in one another's joys and sorrows. And so as members of Christ's church, we need to come together with our eyes open. We need to be looking, we need to be truly seeing each other. Really and truly seeing each other warts and all. This is the only way that we can fulfill the commandment of our text, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Now there's something important 
that we miss in this commandment if, if we don't know the context in which it comes. The letter to the Galatians, as we've heard, it's, it's not an easy letter that Paul writes. It's, it's not a nice letter at all. But what exactly was it in their history that prompted this? Well, the Apostle Paul, in his church planting evangelism, he's planted various churches at Galatia. And then... He was called by the Holy Spirit to plant churches elsewhere, and he left the Galatian churches in the hands of who he thought were capable elders. But no sooner did he leave Galatia than the Judaizers moved in. These Judaizers, they, they were Jewish Christians that had a deep disdain for the Gentile Christians. Paul's Christianity is too easy, they thought. What these Gentiles need, if they really want to belong, is a bit of good Old Testament law. You're not a Christian by faith alone, they said. You're not a Christian by faith alone, saved through Christ alone, by grace alone, but rather, you need to add these Old Testament laws. If you really want to belong, you have to be circumcised. You have to follow the Old Testament laws of clean and unclean. Watch what you eat. Watch what you wear on your body. You must add to the work of Jesus Christ, because it's not enough what you're doing. And the Apostle Paul, he hears this, and he is rightly angry that these teachers would add this burden to the Gentiles, to these new believers who have been welcomed in. I don't know about you, but there's something amazing. There's something wonderful. There's something that truly brings a smile to my face when I meet a new believer. To see someone so overwhelmed by the goodness of grace, by the greatness of God. To see someone with a real fire, a real fervor, a real passion for God and his word. That is something that is so inspiring. And we'll hear more about that this afternoon. But then, and to see these people, these people who are so full of energy, so full of enthusiasm for the gospel, being loaded down the weight and the burden of the Old Testament ceremonies. That smile fades into a grimace. The enthusiasm turns into bitterness. This is not the way of Christ. He came with a light burden, not a heavy burden. His burden was light. His yoke was easy. Our Lord, he came into this world knowing that the law of God did nothing but expose our sin. And so he took that heavy load onto himself. He fulfilled the law on our behalf. He bore our sins in his body on the tree. He bore that heavy load. And he gave us one commandment in its place. Love as I have loved you. And so the Apostle Paul, further explaining the commandment, he gives the Galatian churches this instruction. He says, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. This letter, it's a rebuke. And it's what the Galatian churches needed. But did you see how the Apostle Paul begins this chapter? What is the first word of Galatians 6, verse 1? Brothers. The Apostle Paul he begins this chapter by calling them brothers. Throughout this entire letter of admonition, the Apostle Paul, he is always being loving. Nine times. Nine times in six chapters, the Apostle Paul calls them brothers. 
This letter, it's a letter filled with correction and rebuke. It's filled with pleading and admonition, but the through line of it all is love. The churches in Galatia, they're made up of Paul's brothers and sisters, and it's out of love for them that he writes. He says, follow my example. Don't keep burdens up on each other, but instead, love. Keep love up on each other. Carry the burden of your brother. Carry the burden of your sister. Bear their burden so that they can serve God freely and fully. Now, what exactly are these burdens, you might be asking? Do these burdens refer exclusively to the Old, te- to the old Covenant demands? Circumcision, not wearing clothes of mixed fabrics, clean and unclean food? Well, no. A burden should be properly understood as anything that gets in the way of proper service to God and proper love for one another. I'll say that again. A burden is anything that gets in the way of proper service to God and proper love for one another. Burdens are, therefore, not only pharisaical legalism, but also the transgressions that Paul refers to in verse 1. If anyone is caught in any transgression as well as other burdens. Not every burden is sinful, but every burden can lead us into sin. Not every burden is the same. Some burdens, they cause exhaustion. Others, frustration. Some burdens leave us lonely and isolated. Others drag us into arguments and lead us into bitterness. The burdens, they're not all the same. But our response to those who are burdened, it should be. The challenge is that none of us want to seem burdened. None of us want to seem burdened. We want to maintain the illusion that of every single human being on the earth, we are the only ones who can make it through this life alone. We pride ourselves on our self-sufficiency. Every time you're asked, how are you doing? You say, just fine. And then we go about our day knowing that we just lied to that person. Well, I don't want to burden them with my life. Don't you see? When you refuse to share your burdens with someone else, when you build up that wall, then you're making it so much more difficult for them to share their burdens with you. Because have you ever heard a conversation go this way? How are you doing? Just fine. And you? Well, I'm actually having a really rough time. Can we talk about it? It's almost impossible. As soon as you say that you're fine, It makes them think that they have to say that they're fine. We have to recognize that we all have burdens. We not only have to have our eyes wide open when we look at others, but also when we look at ourselves. When we self-examine, we shouldn't gloss over our difficulties and our burdens, but we have to recognize them for what they are. We all have burdens, and we're never meant to carry them on our own. Self-reliance is not God's plan for us. Self-reliance, what that is, is just poorly disguised pride. I can do it without you. I don't need you. I don't need anyone else. I'm strong enough to handle all of my problems on my own. You'll see just how strong I am. And this is why, misinterpreting that saying that we heard at the beginning, God will never give you more than you can handle, is so dangerous. It is a true and comforting saying based in biblical truth, but when we twist it, when we misinterpret it, it can lead us astray. 
Not understanding what this truly means leads us to live individualistic and prideful lives contrary to God's design, and we end up falling and failing. But God has created us to rely on him, to rely on others. God created us to rely on him and to rely on others, and that's why he's given us himself and given us others. It's not rocket science. We have this need, and God fulfills it. God has given us everything that we need to live the Christian life. So let's not convince ourselves that we're wiser than God and break our backs trying to shoulder our burdens alone. We have to be willing to offer help, and we must be willing to accept help. This makes me think of a children's song, perhaps you know it, Will You Let Me Be Your Servant? I remember that I was, I was quite young and we were singing this in church and my brother leaned over and whispered to me, this song is ridiculous. Why, why would the line go and give me the grace to let you be my servant too? I want a servant. Why would, why would somebody not want a servant? It's exactly this. In terms of serving each other, in terms of bearing one another's burdens, that means we have to ask for help. That's not something we want to do. That's a tall order. It's a tall order for both extroverts and introverts. Because whether we're energized by people or we're exhausted by people, we shy away from being vulnerable with people. We're scared of opening up the deepest and darkest parts of ourselves because we fear being hurt. And we fear being hurt because we have been hurt. Maybe in the church, maybe in other relationships. That's why we have to do better. We have to do better as the church. We must have not only open eyes, but open hearts. It's our second point. Having open eyes is part of the equation, but without this second part, without open hearts, it is very dangerous. For open eyes, coupled with hard hearts, with callous hearts, with judgmental hearts, leads to gossip and ridicule. And many of us, many of us engage in gossip. It's one of the worst kept secrets about the Reformed churches. We are gossips. Information spreads like wildfire. Now it's all too easy to simply brush this off as something unfortunate. Maybe it's something that is even sinful, but it's not all that bad. It's, it's just gossip. But let's not downplay the utter wickedness of this sin. Let me remind you that gossip is listed alongside other such offensive sins as homosexuality and being a hater of God in Romans 1. And in 1 Timothy 5, gossip is one of the indications that someone has left God and strayed after Satan. Gossip is something that is deeply offensive to God. It is something that is destructive to the church. Because gossip is the opposite of bearing one another's burdens. When we hear something about somebody, instead of showing love and compassion, instead of caring and being Christ to our brothers and sisters, we spread it around, we mock and we hate and we ridicule those who struggle. This is not the way of Christ. And if there are those of you here this morning who engage in this sin, you have to stop. You have to repent. Before God and before your brother or your sister whom you have hurt, this is non-negotiable. Having a hard heart is one of the most serious accusations that can be made against the people of God. So 
Instead, we have to have soft hearts. We have to have loving hearts. We have to have open hearts. What exactly does that look like? Well, it means not being satisfied with pat answers like, I'm doing fine. Now, not every time is appropriate for your brother or your sister to open their heart and have their burdens spill out. I'm not saying if you ask how someone's doing and they say that they're fine, you immediately call them a liar. Not at all. But, but at the appropriate time, when you're reaching out to somebody, you have the strength to ask real questions, have the strength to ask hard questions. Ask questions like, what's hard for you right now? Ask questions like, what saps you of your strength? What robs you of your joy? Or one of my favorites, what would it look like if God met your greatest need? It might take time to get answers to these questions. Because trust is something that takes years to build. So start on it today. Dare to have real conversations with your brothers and your sisters. Dare to ask them these questions. And then be prepared for when they answer. Because trust, it's something that takes years to build, but only seconds to break. So be on guard against yourself. Be on guard against the judgmental nature that lurks inside all of us. Because if somebody dares to open up to you, and you react with a disgust, if you shrink back because of their sins, then they will learn that you are not safe, and they will learn that maybe nobody is safe. You will have taught them that they have to bear their burdens alone, and you will have contradicted the command of Christ. You have contradicted his command, and you will have ignored his example. Because this is a vital part. This is a vital part of every sermon, as we'll hear this afternoon. A vital part, especially of these one another sermons, because without Christ, without talking about Christ's example, this is pure legalism. This is me telling you, do better, behave better, go home, practice. But we need the gospel. So imagine, imagine if Christ had done this with us. What if Christ saw our most horrible burdens, our sins? What if he saw them and he said, I'm not going to say these people, they're too sinful. But now what did he do? Jesus, he saw us helpless and hopeless. He saw us in desperate need of salvation, and he showed up. The more sinfully we are, the more we need salvation. And so he came to this earth. Christ is drawn to your weakness because that's exactly when you need his strength. We'll get there more later in the sermon, but Christ did this. He fulfilled this commandment so that we too can do this. We don't do good works to earn his salvation. We don't keep these one another commandments to prove that we belong in the church. But we do it out of thankfulness that Jesus did all of these things for us. Bearing burdens. It is a very serious, very important thing that we must do in the church. We have to know the burdens that exist in this body, and we have to meet each one of those burdens with love. We have to know, and sometimes we don't. So let me share some of the burdens that exist within this body so that you can lift them up to God. And individuals, they may not be ready to share this with you, so the first step in preparing and softening your heart is to pray for them anonymously. So don't worry, I'm not going to name names here, but I'm going to name burdens. There are those who fear the return to COVID mandates. 
that decisions on whether or not we will meet together, how we will meet together, whether or not we will wear masks, they fear that this will tear us apart into different factions. It is a burden that some in this congregation have. There are others who fear some of the changes that we're making. Are we being faithful? Or are we following the culture with things like women's voting? There are women, pregnant with their first child, who fear giving birth, who fear that they won't know how to be mothers. There are men who long to be fathers, women who long to be mothers, and it isn't happening for them. There are those who mourn due to a miscarriage. There are those who wonder if God has made a mistake calling them to a certain task. There are those who struggle with alcoholism and with sexual sin. There are those who feel overlooked and that they don't belong. I could keep going. I could preach a 30-minute sermon that's simply a list of burdens. This is the life of our congregation right now. I know I've barely scratched the surface. I'm brand new here. I'm sure there are so many more burdens that I don't know of yet. So what are we going to do about it? What are we going to do about these burdens? Well, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that we have to be in total agreement on COVID or in total lockstep with every single change in the church. We're human beings. We're going to have different opinions on the right way forward. Life is hard, people are weird, and we all have our own opinions. But it would be completely inappropriate if I denied love and care to those I disagree with. That would be adding to their burdens instead of easing them. You and I may have polar opposite opinions on certain issues, but that can't ever factor in to how I love you. Not because I'm your pastor, that's, that's part of it, but because I'm your brother in the faith, I'm a Christian. My opinion on your burden should never enter into it. My opinion on your burden cannot prevent me from offering to carry it for you. A love that is dependent on us being on the same side of an issue is no love at all. If my love stops because we disagree, then that's not real love. Do you think that my love for you is so weak that something like this would make a difference? I won't be perfect at it. I'm sure I've already failed in my few months here, but I will not stop loving you. This is my calling to you, and this is your calling to each other. And on the one hand, it's easy to say words like this. On one hand, it's, it's very easy. I can make an emotional speech in my sleep. But, but what does it practically mean? We must know the burdens in our heads. We must love those burdened from our hearts. But then we have to bear this burden for them with our hands. Now, because these burdens aren't literal knapsacks of rocks... How do we do this? Well, this morning I can actually give you a five-step program. It is so very rare that in a sermon, as we exegete scripture, as we look at God's word together, that there can just be steps. But these one another commandments, they are so clear, they are so practical, they are so day-to-day, hour-by-hour practical, that for this, I can actually do this. So here are the five steps. Step one, ask. Ask. Show your brother or your sister that you're open to these deep and personal discussions. Show them that you want to hear what they have to say because you love them no matter what. 
Step one, ask. Step two, listen. Don't ask and then immediately tune them out. And don't ask if you don't want to know the answer. Ask and then listen as your spiritual sibling pours out their heart to you. Step three, love. Don't show your shock or your dismay, but show your love. You may be surprised that, that this person struggles in this way, but realize that we all have our own burdens. You're not better than someone because you sin or because you struggle in a different way than they do. So ask, listen, love, and then step four, pray. Ultimately, beloved, we do not have the power to bear each other's burdens. Only God has that power, and the best thing that we can do is to bring these burdens to the Lord. They say that a burden shared is a burden halved. But I say to you that a burden prayed over is a burden quartered. Knowing that that burden is in the hands of God. The God, the God who is all-powerful and all-loving. Knowing that you're being prayed over by your fellow Christians, this helps so much more than you might think. That burden is still there, but it has been brought before the divine expert, and hope can be restored. And step five, serve. Do what you can, and keep praying that God will do what you cannot. He's given each of us gifts and abilities, and these are meant for us to use them to serve. Some burdens that are difficult for the one suffering can actually be easy for you to fix. Maybe someone is without a job and you're looking for someone to hire. Someone needs food and you have a farm. Someone is lonely and you're a human being. Someone needs encouragement and you can encourage. Do what you can. You can't do everything, but God can. Use his gifts and then ask him to make up for what you lack. Ask, listen, love, pray, serve. It's just five steps. What could be easier? But it's not. It's not easy. Because each of these five steps, they go against our natural inclinations. We don't want to do any of these things. Asking, listening, loving, praying, serving, this is very hard work. Like each of the one another commandments before it, bearing one another's burdens is hard work. But that's what we've been called to as Christians. Now, you may be tired of me saying this. If not, you'll probably get tired of me saying this, but it's true. For each of these commandments, Jesus did it first. Jesus did it for you. That's what makes this a sermon instead of a speech. Bear each other's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. You know who fulfilled the law of Christ first? You know who fulfilled the law of Christ best? It was Christ. Romans 2 says it very clearly. Do you suppose, O oh man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance? God is bearing these things himself. And patience, knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. We bear with each other. We, we bear burdens, whether they be heavy or light, foolish or wise. We bear these burdens as ones who have had our own burdens born. Everything that we're carrying around, whether habitual sins or anxieties or scars from past trauma, Christ appeared to bear these burdens for us. 
Christ appeared. He came to this earth to set us free from sin, to lift every weight from us. By bearing our burdens in his body, by carrying every weight, he has freed us to show that same love to others. As a Christian, your back, it doesn't have to be bent down, struggling under that weight. You're meant to share it with Christ and with each other. When your burden is eased, then your back will be free to take a little bit of the weight of those around you. So let this be us, beloved. Let this be this church. We're well known here in Yarrow. It's not hard. We're one of the three big church buildings on the main stretch here, one of the four churches in town. We're known for being Dutch. We're known for how we participate in certain events and by others for how we don't participate in other events. We're the traditional ones who dress up for church. What if? What if instead of these things, or along with these things, we could be known as those who give help, for those who show love and care to anyone who asks us? Let them think that we're weird for our little traditions. Let them think, and because maybe we are a little weird, let them think that we're weird for singing Hebrew songs written thousands of years ago, set to Genevan tunes written 500 years ago. Let them think that we're a little strange for eating peppermints in the pew, sometimes for saying the Apostles' Creed in unison. Let them say, you know what, they're kind of weird, but if you need help, this is where you should go. Let that be our light to this community. This is a hard life, beloved. Nobody told us it was going to be easy, but nobody warned us that it would be this hard either. We can't make it alone. The good news is we're not called to make it alone. We're instead, instead, we are called to truly know each other, to truly hear, to truly be heard by one another. We're called to lean on each other and to walk through this life together. This world is a messy place. You're here, and so am I. So let's struggle through it together, arm in arm, as brothers and sisters in Christ. Amen.